Hi, this is Francesca Morfini, and you're listening to Femme Studios. Here you'll find a series of conversations with female entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders who have carved their own path and are now putting a dent in and beyond our city. I'm excited to share with you a conversation with my biggest mentor, Anjali Patel. Anjali is a fashion lawyer who specializes in intellectual property and trademark law, working very closely with Toronto-based designers including Greta Constantine and Sid Nygum. I met Anjali at the beginning of my career when I was still an intern, and we instantly hit it off. Our first meeting was actually one of the conversations that inspired this podcast. In this episode, we talk about trusting your gut, dealing with imposter syndrome, and a topic that I think Anjali is an absolute master at, the incredible art of networking. One thing I really like about IP in particular, that's intellectual property, is that you encounter clients at generally a very happy and exciting phase of their businesses. So people are starting businesses and they're thinking about how to protect their creative ingenuity. It's generally a very exciting and optimistic time. Now, most people's interaction with the law is generally not so happy. Um, Thinking about things that affect people on an everyday basis, uh, you know, you're going to have slip and falls or, you know, divorce or somebody passing away. And that's, those are the times that people often encounter the legal system and they're under a lot of stress and they're grieving or, you know, there's some stressful situation involved. So this is one of those areas of law that's, you know, very stimulating and creative and interesting. Mm -hmm. And like I said, optimistic and happy. So, um, you know, from, uh, I guess, a personal perspective, that was something that I was really drawn to, um, aside from the subject matter, just being very interesting. So, you know, trademark law, um, has interesting and far reaching applications in the fashion industry. Uh, for example, brand protection, counterfeit goods, like I mentioned, uh, counterfeits tend to be a bigger issue for brands with a signature offering. So Mm -hmm. great example is Canada Goose's downfield parka. Um, so overall intellectual property is part of what I do, but not all of what I do. So, and that was uh, an interesting learning experience for me. Um, you know, part of the reason why I wanted to go to a large firm is because I thought that I would stay there for a time. And then eventually I would go in house, uh, at a large fashion company and maybe just practice intellectual property law exclusively. The reality is that I'm at the other end of the spectrum where I work with small businesses like myself and they have a number of legal needs in a variety of areas of law. So I think starting my career at Borden Ladner Gervais was uh, useful, even though I ended up in a different place than I thought that I would be because they're a large, uh, they're a full service law firm. They practice a number of areas of law. So it was a great way for me to sort of get my feet wet and learn about a number of things, um, which is kind of what you have to be when you're a sole practitioner and you're working with small businesses. Mm -hmm. It's a bit more of a jack of all trades scenario uh, than specializing in a particular area of law and having a deep dive. So in my case, I would be cycling through each of the three departments, um, three main departments, I should say. Uh, One of them is intellectual property, another one is uh, the corporate department, and another one is the litigation department. And you spend a little bit of time in each of them. So um, I was lucky that I was able to do all three, and it really, uh, 
you know, it helped me to understand what I liked and what I didn't, because sometimes what you end up doing is a process of elimination. You think about all the things that you've tried that you don't enjoy and you land on something that you really like, you know, sometimes it's not the other way around where you set out to do something and then in fact do it. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you were there for three years and mm-hmm. you got all this experience working in different parts of the law and then you start your own practice. How did that come to be? Right. So, um, so I was actually at Borden Ladner Gervais for a year. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, um, I moved to Toronto with my husband. So this would have been, I think in the summer of 2013, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's right, because I'm coming up to five years in the city, so I'm um, celebrating a little anniversary. Uh, but when I moved here, um, I was attending a lot of networking events and industry events to meet new people, and I realized that Toronto has a strong entrepreneurial spirit, and one of the defining traits of our millennial generation is starting your own business. So with that observation combi- combined with my love for the business of fashion, It made sense to me to start my own law practice advising creative small businesses, which is what I do today. Um, And today, all of my clients are, in fact, designers. And one of my first clients was Greta Constantine. So So tell me more about how that happened, because you're in this firm for a year. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still a junior and I could never I'm so scared to even start my own thing. So how did you muster up? It was really scary. So there's a couple of points in there that I... I glossed over. So when I moved here, I was with a boutique intellectual property law firm in Toronto. um, And that's where I got my trademark agent designation. That in and of itself is a process. So um, you have to spend some time working at a firm that practices intellectual property law, specifically trademark law. um, And then you have to write an exam. So I chugged through and did all of that. And all the while I was had just moved here and I was, I was wanting to meet people and develop a network and just understand, um, the industry and the people that work in it. So, you know, I realized as I was going out and meeting people that, as I said, you know, there's a strong entrepreneurial spirit here, um, whether, you know, by design or by desire, uh, people are starting their own businesses. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here to, work with some of these small businesses. Um, so I was with the small firm for a time uh, and I was becoming restless while I was there. Uh, and, you know, even after chatting with my husband and my parents, you know, they said, why don't you just try this? Like, what have you got to lose? And I'm thinking like, uh, everything? Like, <laughs> what kind of question is that? You know, like, but I guess only with experience can you become so casual about things. I'm thinking about my parents who, for 25 years worked together and owned a business together and you know have seen and done it all and been through everything so that for them on the other side of things they're thinking like for sure you should do this like this is where everybody starts you start and you don't know what you're doing and you figure things out as you go along so which is totally terrifying um and so yeah i would say that you know in the last three years like with every passing day things become less terrifying um the fear is like minimize now it's not fully gone but it's definitely a lot less than like day zero so (laughs) so then how did you meet and start working with Greta Constantine that's a good question um (laughs) so long ago I mean it wasn't that long ago now but you know I like like all of my other clients I think I met them at an industry event and 
we probably, I, I know for sure we had a great conversation and, and we hit it off, you know, and we saw eye to eye. So, and then I think, uh, later when they were in touch with me, I just happened to be top of mind and, uh, they knew that I was working in this space and that I was somebody that they could ask. So that's how it started. Yeah. And that's how it started with most of the clients that I work with. Uh, to this day, three years later, like most of my business is word of mouth, which I do prefer because, you know, there is a, a bit of a vetting process there. So sometimes when it's a friend of a friend or a friend of a friend or a friend, there's an onus on the person that's putting their request in, you know, there's a seriousness to their request. And, uh, you know, because as a small business, when you're doing business development, like you are putting a lot of energy out into the universe and you're only going to get a certain percentage of that back. Right. So, um, yeah, it's been a very satisfying way for me to build up a business. So, yeah. You said mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the fear is minimized, but has there been a moment where you realized, wow, I'm doing this and it's actually going to work? Yeah, it was very, uh, <laughs> well, you know what, I guess I'll let you know when that happens, but, uh, you know, in, in all seriousness, like working for yourself means there's no guarantee of a paycheck. So that's very fearful. Mm -hmm. uh, but the flip side is that when you're working with small businesses, um, there's nobody that better understands the challenges of a small business than another small business, which is what I am. So, um, you know, I guess to specifically answer your question, you know, last year I got a great result for a client um, who is a small business. They received a cease and desist letter from a European luxury brand. Now they were scared. What I couldn't let on is that I was equally scared, maybe more scared, because as soon as you have a big name involved, you think this is serious, you know? The shit is hitting the fan or it's about to hit the fan. This is not local. We can't just work things out. Like this is gonna require some, you know, serious, serious brain trust to work through this. So uh, I was able to get a great result for them. Um, I guess I should backtrack and explain what a cease and desist letter is. So in this case, uh, the client was operating under a particular business name and the European luxury brand took issue with that name because they felt that it was similar to a name that they were operating under. And for any small business, you know, it's this David and Goliath situation where you're like, oh my God, like this company XYZ is now in touch with me and... Am I going to have to like close my business? That's everybody's fear, right? So you automatically think the worst. And it is a pretty terrible feeling because, uh, you know, everybody invests a certain amount of time and money and energy and effort to build up something. So to think that you were going to have to change everything and start again is pretty discouraging. But I was able to get a really great result for them. And, you know, that was a great reminder to me that I am a good lawyer because when you work by yourself, you certainly are plagued by doubt. Uh, you know, I have strong written advocacy and I provide value to my clients. You know, it's a nice feeling. It's nice to have that reinforced, right? So it's, it's exactly that. It's those moments that you're like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know? So yeah, those moments are golden. They are golden, you know, and sometimes they're far and few in between, but when they happen, they really serve to sort of recalibrate and reset your entire perspective and outlook. So well, something that I find that a lot of women suffer from is imposter syndrome and the voice in your head that tells you 
this isn't going to work or kind of they're going to find out mm -hmm. that I'm a fraud. So how do you deal with that? It's funny you bring that up because I was reading some uh, articles about Sheryl Sandberg again, just leading up to this podcast. And the woman is worth $1.3 And she says that she too suffers from imposter syndrome. Like, what a, con you know, yeah. to think that somebody uh, of her success uh, feels the same way. It's actually, you know, uh, really humanizing. Makes, uh, it's kind of a relief for everybody to hear that, you know, so... Um, it's unavoidable a little bit. It, I think so, right? You know, and especially as you sort of go more and more off the beaten track, you have no established precedent to follow. It becomes all the more worrisome. So, uh, you know, I guess for me, all I can really do is, you know, try and go slowly and carefully and be really thoughtful at every juncture. I need to be able to satisfy myself that I'm, you know, handling my matters for clients appropriately and correctly and in the best way possible. And, you know, unfortunately, speed only comes with, uh, an efficient efficiency only comes with experience sometimes. So I, one of the most frustrating things for me is that, oh my God, I'm so slow. Like there are turtles that are faster than me, you know? So, um, but I think I'm getting faster, you know, and you eventually see everything once, you know? And so then when you see it the second time, you know exactly what to do. It talks about the fact that you've networked a lot and, you know, you've really immersed yourself in Toronto's cultural scene. You've sat on committees for the Gardner Museum, Design Exchange, the Power Plant, the ROM, the list goes on. So when did you start getting involved in projects outside of work? So I can't remember the exact year. Must have been... I don't know, I have to go back and check my LinkedIn. But, you know, I mean, lawyers are encouraged to volunteer and be active in their communities. Um, you know, that aside, I love the fashion fashion and the arts, and so it was a no-brainer for me to get involved. Um, you know, Toronto's hosted a number of amazing fashion exhibitions. Uh, the Design Exchange had a Christian Louboutin exhibition. Uh, the ROM just closed an incredibly successful exhibition on Christian Dior. There's no shortage of incredible... Um, cultural institutions and exhibitions in the city. You know, I guess also like publicly and privately, the arts are a low priority for funding. So that makes being involved in these endeavors all the more important to me. Um, yeah, so I, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. You know, it's a, just a great way to meet like-minded people at the end of the day and uh, work on something that you really care about. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true, that's true. So you give a lot of importance to mentoring. You actually became my mentor, literally when we first met. You, you sat <laughs> down like, and you were like, I'm gonna tell you all these things, they're so important. I'm like, oh my gosh, like somebody who wants to listen to me talk, wow, amazing, like sign me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I know you've always been open to offering insights, guidance, and advice. You actually make an effort to do this. You know, you've even mentored with Ryerson University's Fashion yeah. Zone. So who were your mentors and what did they teach you? Uh, you know, I had a great mentor in law school. Uh, he and his wife worked at a large law firm like Borden Ladner Gervais, and they were actually instrumental in me landing my articling position there. So I really owe it to them. Um, I'm happy that I'm still in touch with them because they're a great sounding board for everything legal related. Uh, I, you know, I don't have any formal mentors in Toronto, but, uh, you know, there are a number of successful women here and I look up to all of them in some way. 
Uh, you know, three in particular are Shauna Levy, Barbara Atkin, and Mary Simons. Uh, Shauna is the CEO of the Design Exchange. Barb is the former fashion director at Holt Renfrew, and Mary's a luxury goods publicist. Uh, and I guess, you know, they're some of the first people that I met when I moved to Toronto, and so they're really special to me. Um, they're each so successful, and I, I really hold them in very high regard. Barb and Shauna I met at the Design Exchange. It was a panel discussion leading up to the opening of the Christian Louboutin exhibition. Right, you know, right when I moved to the city, before, during, sometime after in that time frame. So yeah, just really incredible, incredible people. And uh, uh, you know, they're there to help you however they can, you know, so. Uh, is Shauna then how you got involved with Design Exchange? It is, in fact, yeah. So, you know, she literally, she's probably like, oh my God, I like can't get rid of this person. Oh, great. Now there's your husband, too. Wow, it's like a package deal. So, yeah, I'm sure she was like, wow, I really can't shake these people because we were just there and, you know, enthusiastic. Like, very, we're very keen. What can I say? Oh, that's so, great right, exactly. You know, and I mean, I really believe in what they're doing. I believe in uh, their mandate, which is to pr promote design across all all disciplines and industries and areas of life. You know, that's really important to me. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I think what she was doing then at the beginning of her tenure and what she's doing now is equally important. They launched uh, an incredible uh, platform last year called Edit, uh, which is the expo for design, innovation, and technology. I was stressed for a second that I couldn't remember what the acronym stood for, but I think I got it. So, uh, but uh, yeah, she's doing really incredible work there. Uh, they've all done incredible work. Mary is an incredible person. I know I've used that word a lot now, but it, it is really, it is, it, it is so perfectly applied to these people. She used to be uh, a, a fit model, so an in-house model, for Mark Bohan, who was the third creative director of Christian Dior. So Christian Dior was the first one, Yves Saint Laurent was the second one, Mark Bohan was the third one, and she was there, and she's a part of fashion history as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. really, really cool people here in the city. You always hear, especially university, network, networking events, and so many times they can be so forced and stuffy. How, how do you go about meeting people and being more than just that person that went to talk to them or how do you, how do you master the art of networking? Oh, and I don't I know. No, 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 no. It's, it's a really good question. And people ask me this a lot and I'm just like, I feel like you're the queen of networking. I, how do I just explain to people that I'm a giant dork and like, I'm just persistent, you know? And I, I suppose, I, and I mean, I guess that's a loaded term too, because I guess, you know, you're, persistent in a way that's hopefully not annoying, persistent in a way that is uh, friendly and enthusiastic and maybe welcome by the other person, you know? So obviously there's a lot of nuance in this and yeah, explaining exactly what that nuance is, I guess is the key to all of this. So, um, you know, I think one of the things that you have to remember it, with networking and meeting people is that, you know, you're, trying to find a like-minded people, people who have the same interests and values as you. Um, and B that, you know, you're not, you, you have to remember that you're not meeting people 
to try and gain some benefit from them in the short term, you know, you have to be willing to go out and meet people because you want to meet people, not because you're looking to get something out of it, you know? That very well may follow, and it's hard to say when that could come or if it'll ever come, but if you go into it um, with the goal that you're wanting to meet people who have the same interests as you and have the same values as you, then that in and of itself has benefit, you know? Uh, and I think that's maybe the, that's the best advice. I mean, in terms of like, yeah, going to a panel discussion and knowing that there's some interesting panelists, like never hurts to Google people, you know, have they written something interesting lately? Did they tweet something interesting? You know, that's always a jumping point for a conversation and an authentic conversation, I might add, you know, it doesn't have to be forced, but if you have, if you're going to the networking event, I think implies that you have something in common with the people that are there as well. So exactly. So it doesn't seem unreasonable that you might want to ask them about something that they've written or some opinion that they hold or whatever, you know, that just makes sense. And I'm sure that, uh, that that would be welcomed by the other person. People, you know, I mean, it's sort of the same fears that play upon you. I remember when we moved here and we would go to events and it's totally terrifying because everybody is sort of in groups of twos and threes. And so the perception is that, oh my God, everybody here knows everybody and we're the only people who don't know anyone. And why the hell are we here in the first place? You know, and it's terrifying to approach uh, people in groups of twos and threes, not knowing anybody in that group. And like, are they going to be receptive to like random people walking up to them? Like there's all sorts of fears that play in your mind. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can remember that overall people are very nice. I've rarely encountered a cold or aloof person, uh, you know, in all of my adventures. So if you can keep that in mind that people are nice and, you know, people are going to be happy to know that, you know, you, uh, follow them on Twitter or you follow them on Instagram. And that's often a great way. That's a great jumping off point, you know, like, Hey, we follow each other. Like so great that we're actually meeting in person now, you know? So I think there's lots of ways to sort of break the ice. It's really funny you say that you shouldn't get the, um, the benefit in the short term because actually when Kim wanted to introduce you to me, mm -hmm. or me to you, yeah. I should say, um, she, you know, she said, oh, well, she's, she's a lawyer. And at the time was right when I had decided I wasn't going to go to law school. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, no, if it really makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, you know what? No, now let's try it. A meeting. Mm -hmm. Just try it. And it's. It's crazy. It's so true. Like, and then I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I didn't like, I didn't like disappoint you beyond your wildest. Like, oh my God, this is like the dullest, dullest person ever that uh, it was introduced to me. That's so funny. Yes. And I, and I think him, every time I see her, that, that she made that introduction. Oh, that's means a lot to me. <laughs> that's so great. Uh, so what is the best advice that you've ever received? Okay, so I had to think about this because, you know, you have to sort of comb through so many years of just existing, I guess. Um, but I, I really, I think it does come back to Sheryl Sandberg, you know, and she's talked extensively about finding a partner. Um, and so, you know, in her book, Lean In, she wrote, the single most important career decision a woman makes is whether she will have a life partner and who that partner is. Now, I know that this is you know, there's been a lot of discussion on this particular point and is this anti-feminist, mm -hmm. but you know, for me personally, um, you know, her, 
book came out in 2013 and that was the year after Primer and I were married. So I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> I finally did something right. Like this is so awesome, you know? Um, but uh, I, I can see how, you know, this particular piece of, of advice, you know, it has longer term ramifications because we know that um, women are overworked in every area of their lives. Uh, at home, in the workplace, you know, we're, we're burning both ends of the candle constantly. Yeah. We're doing it all right. Uh, so, you know, I, I really, that I really took that to heart. That was really, uh, important for me to read and sort of internalize. And, you know, Prime Bear is hugely supportive of everything that I do. Um, you know, in fact, I, I credit with him, credit him with suggesting that I consider law school. Like he knew me and my interests well enough to know that it might be a good fit. I think he was right, you know? So uh, I, I think that's a really great piece of advice. Um, that's something that I, I has really been beneficial to me, I think. So, or at least comforting. It also helps, well, going back to what we were talking about before with imposter syndrome, if you're with the right person, they'll remind you. It's right, and exactly. In your head that's like, you can't do this. It's exactly that, you know? It's sort of like having uh, two people sitting on your shoulder and like one person's like, wagging their finger yeah. at you exactly you know and the other person is like big up in you so yeah it's exactly that yeah mm -hmm. no totally um so you know we've talked a lot about your involvement and everything and mentoring and committees and everything so you're you're really busy and you have a lot on the go so you have your full-time job your volunteer committees um, mentoring, you have a social life, you're always trying new restaurants. I love your Instagram. You're always trying restaurants. <laughs> I live to eat, that is for sure. Yeah, and we share that <laughs> Yeah, we totally do. Um, working out, you recently redid your whole home, which we're now sitting in. Um, so how do you juggle all of your time? How do you manage all your time? Oh my God, like, okay, you're giving me way, way, way more credit than I deserve. So my husband, Primebird, took on much of the home renovation responsibility. Like, the reason why we're sitting in this house right now is because of him and his meticulous attention to detail and his ability to manage a project and his ability to just keep things together when things are looking dire. So that is completely and utterly to his credit. I will say that if I had any role in that, it would be, you know, that I came up with, uh, you know, a concept for how I wanted the entire thing to roll out. So I was thinking more about like materiality and aesthetics and like, just how's this place gonna look, you know? Um, and then of course we hired professionals to execute that for us. So uh, that would be maybe the small role that I had in that. Mm -hmm. But with that in mind, you know, in November we were nearing the end of the renovation and my sanity was hanging by a thread. So I decided to get ahead of the New Year's resolutions, which inevitably come in January and hire a trainer one day a week. Um, and, you know, before that, I'm sad to say that my daily exercise had totally dwindled. It was quite sporadic. And, um, you know, now I'm getting in at least one day a week and I'm feeling a lot better mentally and physically. And it's like, I'm embarrassed to even admit in a public forum that like I could let something like that slide because we know how important physical exercise is mentally and physically. But why is it that it's one of the first things to go? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. So it's because you can, because you can't, 
cancel, you can cancel on yourself and you can't cancel on others. It's exactly that. Oh, it's so brutal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we really do put ourselves last in this equation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as for the committees, the restaurants, the socializing, like I'm actually a pretty introverted person. And uh, so I have a lot more quiet time than you would be led to believe from social media. So because I work alone, I, you know, I end up spending a lot of hours in my head. And so, you know, by the time the evening rolls around, I'm stir crazy. I want to get out and chat with people. And so it's kind of a welcome change. Um, you know, I have at least one day a week where I try and schedule all of my calls and meetings. That's generally on a Friday, uh, because, you know, most people are checked out from the work week at that point and desk work, you know, is sort of dwindling. And so I find that that's a good day to kind of get out and sort of have deliverables for people. So that's generally what happens. Uh, I try and batch my work as much as possible. I have lists for everything. Like I would be, I don't want to show you my phone. It would might stress you out, but like I have lists of like restaurants that I want to try. I have like lists of people that I have to invoice. Like there's a list for everything. Like if you don't have a list, I'm sure I can create it for you. So I'm feeling eventually I'm going to have to have to have a list for all of my lists. Like this is the point that I'm at in my life. But, um, aside from that, like. I'm not great at following this, but just trying to have a routine every day. I know that sounds really- um, I heard it's really important for freelancers especially. I know it sounds really obvious, but like, and even just in terms of like, what am I eating every day? Like what, just trying to standardize as many things as possible. Like the irony of like standardizing your wardrobe when you work in fashion, like it's not lost on anyone. But I mean, at the same time, like people are talking a lot about having a uniform and dressing in a uniform way, you know? So I think that's where that sort of ties in. But uh, yeah, there are some things like my breakfast and lunches are pretty much the same day in and day out, which is why like (laughs) the evening rolls around and I'm like, okay, like what's the new restaurant? Where are things at? Like, let me at them. So, (laughs) you know, it's just about trying to find some balance. So I have like a lot of uniformity and then I have some variety. Right. So and yeah. just trying to balance those things, because the second you have too much variety for too many things, you're expending so much brain power, you know, and that's mm-hmm. pretty tiring, too. So. So looking back on the experiences that you've dealt with, the mistakes you've made and all the lessons that you've learned, what do you wish you had known when you started your own business? I know this is going to sound nuts, but I wish I had started sooner, despite talking about the fear and everything that's involved with that, you know, all the anxiety that you face. But. You know, I I wish I had started as soon as I was called to the bar in 2012. Uh, You know, I was so fearful of failure. uh, And in many industries, you know, you're encouraged to work for somebody else first, make mistakes on their dime. But the reality is that what I'm doing is just uh, so niche that, uh, and I, you know, I knew that I wanted to do this since before I started law school. So I think I should have just done it, but, I'm doing it now, so it's not a terrible thing. It's I'm just splitting hairs, but I, I think now, and you know, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. but now I feel like I'm getting more and more comfortable with what I'm doing. So yeah, maybe from this side, it does seem like, oh my gosh, I should have started sooner. Like, what was I waiting for, you know? So um, yeah, that would, that would be it for me, I think. That's interesting because it's so crazy to imagine starting your own firm as soon as you're called to the bar. Yeah. And, you know, part of that is just, you know, you go through law school and uh, you're learning the substance of the law. So you're reading cases and 
being asked to, you know, analyze and uh, take apart cases and interpret and all of that goes with it. So, you know, you're never at any point taught, there's no course that is called like how to start a law firm or like what you need to start a law firm or like what do you need to do like there's nothing like that the entrepreneurial part of it which is actually so important is so important you know and uh you may or may not learn a little bit of that when you're actually articling it really depends on what what kind of firm you go to. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's one of those things, you know, you learn by doing, um, I don't have any other lawyers in my family. So I was literally like, just, okay, like here I am looking around. Okay. looks like it's just me. Like, okay, just going to like, can carry on here. Like try and figure things out as I go along. So, um, you know, you, uh, you make the best of it. But uh, yeah, there are times when I was just like, oh my God, I'm excruciatingly slow. I don't think I'm ever gonna get beyond like whatever thing that I was contending or dealing with at that moment. You know, every obstacle seems insurmountable. So um, yeah, those hills get smaller, it turns out, so. Yeah, you always are, I don't know if you always hear, but I've heard that uh, when people start their own firm, they give up working. 40 hour weeks to work 80 hour weeks. Oh yeah. I just like, I have no work-life balance. Like somebody earlier today was like, what are your plans for the weekend? I was like, oh, I'm probably going to do more work. Like no you know, all, all the stuff that I like didn't finish yeah. like this week, I'm just going to like do it, do it on the weekend. And yeah, it's exactly that, you know? So just cause you're just trying to balance like so many different aspects of the business. And that's again, one of those very eye opening things that you realize um, when you start your own firm, like, oh, I'm actually not just practicing law, i.e. like, you know, analyzing or dealing deeply with the substance of the law. I'm also like looking for clients, interacting with clients, invoicing clients, um, licking stamps, like sweeping the floor, like, you know, there's all of those things that go along with it. So yeah, yeah that's, that's the really, uh, that's the tricky part. That's for sure, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what advice would you give to anyone who's looking to enter the creative industry in Toronto? Um, what was very beneficial for me was meeting as many people as mm -hmm. I could. Um, you know, even initially, like as you're just, you know, getting your feet wet, uh, it's really helpful, um, to have a strong network. You know, it helps you understand, uh, the lay of the land and more importantly, how you can create a unique position in it. So I think that would be my advice. Do you find that, like, what would be the best way to do it? Is it to email people? Is it to go to events or, or both? Um, I think, you know, the way that I started was, so it's kind of, there's sort of like a few prongs to this. And I would say both of those are important going to events and emailing people. Um, I joined Fashion Group International when I moved to Toronto. Uh, they have a very full and interesting programming calendar. Um, to this day, they meet on the last Tuesday of every month. So it's like you can almost go ahead and block that off in your calendar, knowing that there's going to be some interesting event that evening that you can go to. Mm -hmm. um, they pull from their board members, obviously each have their own network, and they pull from all of that to try and find interesting speakers to come in and uh, chat with all of the members. And it's a great way to meet people. And I met a ton of people like that. Um, and you know, from that, I would say, so 
it's important to go and meet people in person. Um, the follow-up is also important. So whether it's, um, you know, adding people on LinkedIn, adding that personalized message that LinkedIn like semi-aggressively asks you to do, like want to add a personal message before you click the send request. Yeah, like they say they are more likely to respond. It's yeah. exactly yeah. that. And you're like, thank you, for the reminder. thank you, LinkedIn. Like got this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether you're adding people on LinkedIn or, you know, they've given you their business card and you send them uh, one or two line or email, like you just want to be a little bit, you want to be as systematic as you can about it. Um, because otherwise you're just, it's just going to, you're going to feel like, why am I doing all of this? This is just like so random and like, what's gonna, it seems like you're expending a lot of energy and you're not sure for what, which makes sense. So um, I think you just wanna be able to, uh, like I said, just have a bit of a system and stick to it. So for me, it was going to an event, um, trying to chat with one or two people and then following up with them in a meaningful way. Um, because again, you just, you don't know what the future holds, you know, if, uh, you have a way of getting back in touch with that person, um, you know, then that's, that's going to be easier down the road, you know, instead of being like, Oh, like, Hmm, where did that person's card go? And like hunting through a bunch of things or like, I think there's somewhere on here on like my, in my e inbox or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah, that's what I would do for sure. Cool. Okay. So to finish it off. Can you tell me some of your favorite places in Toronto? Oh, right. Okay. Um, hmm. Did I end up thinking about this? Not really. Okay. Well, you know I what? Like I can name one of them first. Oh, can you, can you please? Oh my gosh. I yes. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. One of your favorite places is Brothers. Yes. I, I, I would say our collective favorite space. Yes. I love Brothers. I love, um, you know, small and quirky and intimate dining experiences. So Brothers is absolutely one of those. Um, it's a restaurant that's, inside the same building as Bay subway station. So you do hear the subway trundling through every so often, uh, which really just adds to that experience. I think, um, it's a tiny spot, probably seats like 20 or less people, I think. Um, and it's always packed. Um, another spot that I really like is the art gallery of Ontario because, uh, my husband and I were married there. So I just love, Oh, you did? Did I not tell you that? Okay, so I just I love going there because I, you know, you walk into Walker Court, and I'm like, oh my god, I was married here. This is, you know, that, that feeling sort of never leaves you, you know. But yeah, I love the AGO. Uh, love small, quirky restaurants. Um, one of my favorite places to go for lunch, even though I don't really go there that often uh, because I don't really go out for lunch very often, is uh, it's called Familia Baltasare. And, uh, it is, it's the best place ever. So basically it's on, it's in a building, uh, that houses a lot of creative small businesses on Geary Avenue and in the ground floor of this building, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a nice part of town. Um, so in the ground floor of this building is a business called Familia Baldessare and it's a manufacturer of fresh pasta. They supply a number of restaurants in the city, top tier restaurants with pasta for their businesses and um for a while uh like the last year and a half they were uh operating a quasi-legal like lunchtime counter uh out of their manufacturing facility uh so they were open i think for a couple of hours uh i think tuesday to friday 
So it was like quite a quite a niche thing. They would send out their uh, daily menu. I think it was via Insta Story. I think it is still to this day. I think it started as an email. And then that got so big that they were like, we're just going to kind of transfer this over to Instagram. Everybody seems to be on there anyways. So I've only ever been on a Friday because that's the only day that I try and schedule meetings and things. And so um, they have the same menu every Friday, but they switch it up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But on Friday, they have um, this amazing, amazing spinach ravioli, uh, just in like an sort of olive oil uh, sauce. And it's it's just the best thing. So yeah i just love these like you know random quirky little spots that uh yeah so it's, it's a bit out of my way to get to but when i can go it's the best thing i think um but yeah it's kind of like it's just there's something nice about just being able to sit there and have somebody serve you like a piping hot fresh plate of pasta so, so good. on that note yeah. <laughs> so hungry oh. okay well thank you Oh, my pleasure. I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope this wasn't overwhelming so, for anybody listening out there, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I hope that, I hope that uh, there's some interesting uh, take-home messages there. So, yeah. awesome. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at fem.studios or you can visit us on our website at femstudios.com. You can also find Anjali on Instagram at bluechipfashion.